As of recording, it is March 3rd, and for all you A-10 fans, we are completely entrenched in the madness. Welcome back to the A-10 Talk podcast. I'm Sam Basil, alongside Daniel Frank. Daniel, uh, a big week for A-10 Hoops, the start of the women's tournament. Uh, A couple days away from the start of the men's tournament, both going to be down in D.C. Um, How are you feeling right now? Doing all right. I had a great time up in Wilmington yesterday with the women's basketball tournament. I got to see a Mason win and more, (laughs) which was unbelievable. Um, And I also saw a GW win and GW is now on to the quarterfinals. So um, surprising results there to say the least. And uh, yeah, just enjoying March hoops. Yeah. So, you know, where, where things stand right now for the women's tournament tomorrow is going to be the start of the quarterfinals. We've got a great set of games. I think you should be checking out as many of them as you can, if you are a fan of a 10 hoops and just great basketball in general. Uh, So let's just break down uh, the quarterfinal slate that we've got for you guys tomorrow. Starting at 11 AM, we've got Davidson taking on Dayton. Then over at one 30, we've got George Washington versus VCU Uh, at five. We've got St. Joseph's versus URI. And then finally, it's 7.30, the nightcap. We've got Fordham and UMass. So, Daniel, you know, first off, with these matchups, is there anything that you – is this expected? Or were there any big surprises? And what were some of the biggest moments that have kind of led us to this spot right now? Yeah, without a doubt, the biggest surprise of the tournament so far is GW. Um, GW heading into this tournament ranked 340th in the nation – in points per game and 344th in the nation in field goal percentage. That's out of 348 division one women's basketball programs. And yet GW has found a way to win with not only just their defense, but they put up 60 points like two days in a row, which is unfathomable for this team. Um, I mean, to, to come back the way they did against St. Bonaventure on Wednesday that I saw in person, um, they, they start off really well, and then the Bonnies led by 10 for most of the second half, and then GW just got stops down the stretch. Kiara frames at two big threes in the final minute to secure the win for GW. And then today against LaSalle, they led by 10 like most of the game. I mean, LaSalle tried pushing late, but they just – GW never wavered. And without a doubt, GW is the surprise at the tournament so far. And uh, there were some pretty other uh, big results, I think, today, too, down the line. I mean, Davidson and Richmond, did you get a chance to check that one out at all? Yeah, I ended up seeing a bit of that. Yeah, Richmond started off really hot. I think they led 12-3, I want to say. And then Davidson just kept pushing, kept pushing. He kind of felt like it was one of those things where eventually it was going to give way. And Davidson came out of halftime on like an 8-0 run and never really looked back. And I give Davidson a lot of credit for, for stealing a really good one against a, a tough Richmond team that, you know, their defense has been their Achilles heel most of the year, as has been turnovers for them. And it kind of caught up to Richmond in the end. Um, other team I really want to shout out, and yeah, I'm biased, but George Mason became the first 14 seed ever in the women's tournament to win a conference tournament game. They upset St. Louis yesterday, which was – a week after they lost by 23 points to the Billikens at home. So to turn around one week later and become the first 14 seed ever to win a conference tournament game for the women is truly remarkable and a sign of great things to come, I think, for this George Mason team moving down the line. Yeah, and so moving forward, uh, this this Friday around is going to be when we see a lot of those teams that got the double bye uh, heading into the heading into the into the tournament. They're going to be, you know, they've got some fresh legs coming in. That's obviously Dayton. VCU, uh, Rhodey, and UMass. So, Daniel, out of those four teams, I mean, do you think they're really primed 
to kind of carry into the weekend and, and, and be the last four teams standing? Or do you think there are a couple teams that you think might get hot and take down maybe a Dayton or a UMass? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, Fordham is is probably the biggest question mark here. They they finished six. They were in the top two like most of the season, and then lost three games in a row down the stretch in February, and and found themselves winding up in sixth place, which is shocking. Um, and I, my biggest question heading into the tournament for them was, how are they going to respond coming and having to play a game on Thursday? Were they gonna you know, show up and look disinterested and be like, well, screw this. It's a lost season. Or are they going to come out and really just start throwing punches? And I think from what we saw tonight, they had like a 23 to four lead on Mason at one point, um, which is, I, I think, more of a reflection on Fordham than it really truly was on Mason. Uh, and yeah, Mason made it close down the stretch. Mason got down to 13. But I think Fordham showed that they're here to, to make a statement and they expect to be able to win and compete in these games. Um, I think Fordham probably poses the biggest threat of anyone. Um, I don't think you can count out St. Joe's by any stretch. St. Joe's really looked impressive against Duquesne today. Um, they've started to put some pieces together. Taylor Brugler is, is a rookie of the year. And I really think, you know, she, she's a really dangerous piece for the Hawks. I think GW is likely to run out of gas against VCU. will be the third game in three days. But, you know, GW did almost beat VCU earlier this season at the Seagull Center. Um, and Davidson did just beat UMass like two weeks ago. So all four of these games have some interesting storylines for sure. All right. So looking into the rest of the weekend, uh, you know, earlier on this week, the A-10 released their uh, end of year awards for women's basketball. And we've still got a lot of, you know, top award winners in the rest of this tournament. They're going to be playing for the rest of the weekend. Obviously, you've got uh, Sam Breed of UMass, you know, the current reigning A-10 player of the year. And then I believe four out of six of the of the all conference first team are in the are still in the tournament. So that's Jenna Giacone from Dayton, Anna DeWolf from Fordham, Sam Breen from UMass, and Taya Robinson from VCU. Which one of those four players is set to make the biggest impact for the rest of the weekend in the women's tournament? Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question. I, I it's hard to to really say any one of these is not gonna make an impact on this on this this tournament i mean jenna jacconi first and foremost has unfinished business i talked to her before the season started and that was she said what brought her back to dayton as well as all the other fifth year seniors you know that that want to use that extra year of eligibility they said look they won the a10 tournament in 2020 they didn't get to dance last year they won the regular season and you know they did not get to dance because they didn't win the tournament they got upset by vcu so i think you know, Dayton's got some unfinished business to it to attend to. And a Wolf and Fordham, I think, showed today that they're here to make a statement and they think they can compete for a title. Um, Sam Breen is out looking to repeat the magic that UMass captured last year when they were a six seed and made it all the way to the championship game and fell just a little short. And I know that's been on their mind as well the whole season. This is their redemption arc. Um, and they really think that they're, they can win this whole thing. Emmanuel Tahan, I think, from Rhode Island, um, you know, roadies kind of fallen off some people's radars are right there on the bubble. Um, you know, I, I think that that roadie can really make a statement here and Tay Robinson is going to have something to say about it too. I think every single person on this list that we just mentioned is going to have a big say in, in how the next three, four days shake out. And speaking of those awards, I know a 10 talk, you know, released, we released our own version of the uh, women's basketball awards. Like you said, kind of like we were talking about before we started recording this podcast, there might've been a couple differences here and there, but overall, I think uh, a 10 talk and the other voters for the uh, Atlantic 10 
you know, we're on pretty much the same page. Were there any surprises in the, in the official end of year awards for you? You're really the only major discrepancy. I mean, I was really impressed with how we did with our predictions and stuff and how we voted. The, the one major discrepancy was coach of the year. You know, we went with, with Tori Verdi from UMass. I really think that he did a tremendous job coaching this team. Once again, they, they're coming into the tournament with a little bit of a short roster due to some injuries and other things going on. Um, but I, I think UMass definitely has gotten the most out of their players without a doubt. Um, I think it's always, and we had this conversation in the A10 Talk Writers chat. I think it's a cop out when you pick the coach that won the regular season. And yeah, yeah, maybe coaches don't care that much about the voting that they do. And maybe they just pick the regular season winner and they move on with their lives because they got to get ready for the tournament. But to me, I'm not, again, take nothing away from Shauna Green and Dayton. They had a tremendous season. They obviously won the A10 regular season. They're looking like they're going to be an at large bid to the NCAA tournament. But when you have five fifth year seniors returning, how hard of a coaching job is that in comparison to some of these other teams that, you know, had to make more out of, of, out of their rosters with less experience. I mean, that's just calling a spade a spade, but again, take nothing away from Shauna Green. Dayton had a phenomenal season and she's obviously deserving. So you bring up a pretty good point in, in that, in that criteria, of course, you know, um, it's hard when you're, when you're in the midst of a season and you're getting ready for a conference tournament to be, you know, have a ballot put in front of your face and ask to fill it out. But it's not like, it's not like we're asking these coaches to vote on the best coach in the country. It's we're asking these coaches, you know, who made the most out of their team out of the four, out of the 13 other teams that you see on a very regular basis. So I think it's that you bring up a pretty good point in that maybe, you know, yes. Like if you, if you bring your team to a regular season title. Yeah, you're probably, you should probably get some nods for coach of the year. I mean, you did what you were asked to do and you did it the best, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's different circumstances. Everyone's entering the year at a different level. So speaking of that, that's actually kind of what I wanted to get into on in our next uh, topic, specifically on the men's side and a little bit more specifically with, with Fordham and Kyle Neptune. So earlier on in the week, um, you know, after Fordham's win against UMass, A, that was probably the best Fordham has been all season. I mean, they scored – they had their highest scoring game of the season. They scored 85 points. Um, their offense was really clicking. Six guys uh, with at least one three-pointer made. Three guys scoring in double digits. And there were some pretty big names like John Rothstein and the New York Post, Mike Ficaro, saying that um, Kyle Neptune might be a, a front runner for Atlantic 10 coach of the year. And, you know, while I think that's, that's great and all, and I think, you know, if you, if you see what Kyle Neptune has done with this program, with the program that he was kind of handed going into the year, there might be a case for it. But at the same time uh, with, with, with one game left in the, in the regular season, Fordham sits at seven and 10 in conference play. They sit at 14 and 14 overall, Daniel, what do you think of this possibility that, that, that coach Neptune might get some votes for coach of the year? And, you know, what would your criteria be? I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you, Sam. I mean, I think not, not to, to overstate what Neptune has done, but frankly, he took a Fordham team that was for lack of a nicer word, kind of putrid last year in a lot of ways and made them into a team that no one wants to play. I mean, we talked about this at length, I think, last week about just the type of identity that 
that Florida men's basketball has been able to establish. But I think absolutely the coach of the year should be who has done the best job coaching um, and who has gotten the most out of their group and really shown, I mean, what, the end of the day, your job as a coach, yes, win ball games, et cetera. But really you're to develop the players that are on your roster, first and foremost as human beings and secondarily as players. I mean, that is what coaches, that's their job description, basically. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what Kyle Neptune is doing. I mean, I cannot directly speak to the, the, the player or the people development because I, I am not involved in Florida. I've not been around. But from a player development standpoint, I mean, it, it absolutely looks like he is meeting all the criteria in that department. Um, and for what it's worth, um, 3Bid League does you know their annual A10 media poll stuff that, that got sent out this afternoon. And I've got slated right here. Um, I've got Neptune as my coach of the year. There's only one slot that I have not yet filled out. Everything else I filled out. I'm still debating on six man of the year, um, but everyone else I've, I've pretty much got figured out who I'm going to submit, but I do have Neptune as my coach of the year. Yeah. I'm very excited to fill out my ballot. And, but I do have to admit, you know, that, that coach of the year spot, I still think is up for grabs. I mean, that being said, I do think Neptune has a case, you know, I mean, yes, he's got a 14 and 15 record. At best right now, he can finish in conference play at 8 and 10. You, 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 lost, more than, you, you lost more than you've won. That's, that's not what you want to do. That's never what a, what a coach wants to do at any point in any season. That being said, if he finishes, if this team finishes at 8 and 10 in conference play, that will be their best conference record in tw- since 2016. And not only that, but I mean, when you look at, when you look at the fact that not only is Fordham winning, but winning the, the, in the way that they're doing it. You know, you've got, you've got guys that, you know, a, a lot of incoming transfers uh, to this team. I mean, the only guys that were really on the team that are still, you know, getting a lot of minutes this year are, uh, you know, Chuba Ohams, Josh Colon Navarro, and Kyle Rose. Jalen Kyle has been on the bench, and Albie Evans is kind of, you know, he's more of a role player. But Coach Neptune has been, t- been able to take this team of guys from all across the country and get some good wins in the Atlantic 10. And then, you know, as soon as the conference, conference play starts, his leading scorer leaves. Against St. Bonaventure on January 8th, his next leading scorer, Darius Quisenberry, um, is hurt, and he's out for a month. And, what, and once Darius Quisenberry is out, you've got your top two scorers on the team, you know, out of commission. He switches the dynamic of this team, the strategy of this team, from four guards out to, you know, three guards and then Abdusen Bila as uh, a second forward in the in the starting lineup. And it works. This team, you know, adjusted and they are still, you know, winning games. So I think there's there is still a case for Kyle Neptune with for not only has he turned around this program, but he's, you know, coached a team through a competent season with a lot of bumps through the road that at any point, you know, a, a foreign team, like, like the ones we've seen in the past would really have folded. And well, I, I think, and I, and I firmly believe that. I think we're also bearing the lead a little bit here too. I mean, yes, last year was Fordham had a very bizarre season last year. Cause they had no non-conference, but Fordham, and, went I mean, everyone had 12. a bizarre season last year. They know? went two and 12 a year ago. I mean, the idea of Fordham having double digit wins forming anywhere within striking distance of 500 was laughable last year. We they were, were still making 16 the year before. Yeah, we were still making Fordham two high jokes like at this time last year. And now here's Fordham solidly out of the, the pillow fight. I mean, what more do you want a coach to do in year one? 
Yeah, and but that being said, you know, you know, I think we've laid out the case for Colin Epstein for coach of the year, right? I think it's a strong, <laughs> I think it's a strong case, and I think you know he's got a good shot. That being said, I mean, I don't want to for a second downplay some of the other cases that some of these coaches in this conference have because right now we are seeing some excellent performances from some longtime coaches, from some fairly new coaches. So Daniel, you know, if it's not Neptune for you, who is it? I think it's probably Bob McKillop and Bob McKillop is who I think is going to end up winning it. I mean, Davidson was really off of people's radar. I think earlier in the season, especially back in November. I mean, we, you can go back and pull the tapes of what we were saying back in November. We had a whole segment of, are we, you know, are we underestimating Davidson? Is it time to take them seriously? And this was after their Thanksgiving tournament. And I was very lukewarm about them. And now here's Davidson sitting on March 3rd, almost a proverbial lock for the NCAA tournament. I mean, I don't think you can understate how good a coaching job that Bob McKillop has done this year at Davidson. If I had to pick someone else as well, just to throw another name out there, and I know this is going to make Dayton fans' heads roll, but I think Anthony Grant deserves to be in the conversation as well. He rallied his troops in a way that I don't think many coaches in the nation could have done. I mean, Dayton had as bad a start to the season as anyone in the country and here they are. And then they like a month after four quad four losses, whatever it was, they beat Kansas. And now here they are in contention to win the A-10 regular season title still. And I think that speaks tremendously of Anthony Grant and his ability to coach his team. Yeah, if anything, um, you know, with Dayton, it's it's so hard to say this year. Um, Dayton, like I can't describe them as a good team or a bad team. They're just weird and young. You know, they're what I mean? <laughs> they're, they're good. They're good. Let me let me put it out there. I don't I don't I don't want to say that there's a possibility that they're a bad team because they're not at all. But they're just young and they just don't you know have their sea legs yet. You know what I mean? So I think if we can see what Anthony Grant turns this this recruiting class into next season and you know continues to you know coach them into a top three seed, then I think he might be a lock for coach of the year next year. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the key for, for him is keeping his freshman. I mean, he's got, I was feeling uh, the ballot we mentioned a, a, a minute ago, like half of the all freshman, all the rookie team is going to be Dayton guys. Like as long as he gets all those guys to come back, there's no question Dayton's going to be an A-10 preseason title favorite, if not yeah. top two, worst case scenario. And, and, and what reason would they have really to leave? I mean, unless they've got some crazy offer in the wings. I mean, but- guys have crazy dreams nowadays of, they can go play anywhere and transfer portal nonsense, but I would stay. I mean, what better uh, situation can you be in than Dayton? I mean, they have arguably the best fan support in the conference and they're a great place. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, yes, you know, you might be able to get a better uh, NIL deal somewhere else. You know, that's, that's probably going to be the biggest thing for the A-10 to have to compete with over the next couple of years is, how these top schools in the conference will be able to make those offers to students, uh, to, to, you know, to the athletes, um, which, you know, say, say what you will, you know, whether you like it or not. I mean, that's just the future of college basketball. I mean, these players, if they have the talent, they're going to be able to secure that bag. You know what I mean? So that's probably going to be a big factor, but with Dayton, I mean, they've, I don't think there's ever a year where, you know, even if they're not the favorite, even if they're like, floating around like the five to seven area of the preseason poll, there's always talk about Dayton being a possible bid in the, in the uh, NCAA tournament from the Atlantic 10. So, you know, I think, I think there's nothing but great things to come from this current Dayton core. 
and Anthony Grant, depending on, you know, how he can continue to develop them even more. But until then, um, you know, we're four days away from the, the 2022 uh, Atlantic 10 men's championship. And, you know, right now in the standings, there is nothing guaranteed. Uh, as, as we were saying uh, right before the podcast, Daniel, the only, <laughs> the only seed right now, the only seeds right now that I believe are a lock is Richmond in sixth and Duquesne at 14th. If, am I correct? You are correct. Okay. So there's a lot of moving parts this season. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts this weekend. So we've got, you know, seven games, one on Friday for the final Friday 10, and then six on Saturday. And then we're going to be right into the tournament. So Daniel, if you can give me maybe your top two or three games that you think are the absolute most crucial games for determining seating in this year's tournament, have at it. Well, the first one we got obviously start with Dayton Davidson. I mean, this is a conference championship game for Davidson. Um, they win, they went outright the regular season title. It's that simple. They lose the math gets a little funky. VCU can, can clinch a share and take the number one seed in the tournament. If VCU beats St. Louis and Dayton beats Davidson, um, that is, that's the recipe for that. So those, those two games really Dayton Davidson and then slew VCU, we're going to determine that. Um, but I mean, a lot of these things are all mixed together as well, because Bana Richmond on Friday um, is going to determine a lot of what SLU is going to have to do against VCU the next day. So those those three games are really tied to each other um, because if Bana loses and St. Louis wins, Bana falls out of the top four altogether because Bana did not get that game made up against GW. So Bana is going to fall to eleven and six with a loss, and SLU jumps to twelve and six. Twelve is better than eleven. SLU jumps into fourth, um, which would put Bana with a short bench already in a really tough situation to try to get, you know, the automatic qualifier uh, with having to play that extra game on such a short bench. Um, other one moving down the list that's really going to have a tremendous impact is GW Fordham. Um, this Fordham can still jump as high as eighth question mark. I believe if my math is correct. Um, Mason can shuffle around in there too, because Mason is sandwiched between GW and Fordham. Um, but between the three of them, two of them are going to end up having to play in the eight, nine game. The other one's going to get stuck playing either UMass or Rhode Island. That's the interesting thing too. UMass could avoid the pillow fight, even though Matt McCall is a lame duck. Now that we all know it's, it's officially announced. He's a lame duck. He's out after this season. Um, UMass, all they need to do is beat George Mason at George Mason and UMass gets to avoid the pillow fight. If they lose, it's that simple. Rhode Island gets out. Um, I believe with a win over St. Joe's. Um, and then of course, LaSalle St. Joe's they're tied for 12th and 13th. It doesn't really matter because they're not moving up or out of that. They're going to play each other. It's just what color Jersey they're going to be wearing. Um, but you know, that's in terms of seating, we're going to figure that out depending on their outcomes as well. So, I mean, basically to answer your question, kind of all of them <laughs> really have a pretty significant impact on <laughs> where, where, where teams are going to be playing Wednesday, Thursday and Friday in DC. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> you, 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 you explained a lot there. One thing, you know, that I'm sure that I, I absolutely agree with you in that, that entire, you know, breakdown is that 11 is bigger, is better than 12. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so a lot of stuff. I mean, so 
at the end of the day, I mean, there's so many factors that, that are, that are, you know, involved in, you know, how, however many of these teams uh, are going to be seeded. So this weekend, is it kind of just one of those things where, you know, if you're a fan of any of these teams, just, you just want your guys to win and then think about it later. I think so. I mean, it'll be interesting to see kind of Richmond's motivation level on Friday. I think that's really the biggest question mark for me. Just Richmond is obviously no shot at the NCAA tournament as an at-large. They know they're going to be the sixth seed no matter what. So what they do impacts absolutely nobody other than, you know, those around them in terms of who they're playing in Bona. Um, And it's going to be at Bona. I am curious what Richmond's take on this. I mean, you don't rest guys in college basketball. It's not like the NBA where, Oh, we're just going to sit out our starters like the NFL does or whatever, you know, we're resting. You know, that doesn't happen. No. Um, but I, I am curious how Richmond's motivation level is going to be. The other thing that's interesting is how Duquesne's going to respond. Um, we kind of joked about this game against LaSalle for a while, that this was a de facto, you know, the, 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 the tank ball, who's going to get last place. And, and Duquesne has kind of pulled that out themselves. But they took GW to three overtimes last night, Wednesday night in D.C., um, which maybe says more about GW than it does Duquesne. But it was the closest Duquesne has come to winning a ball game in better part of two months. Yeah. Um, so how David's, how Duquesne builds on that is going to be really interesting. Yeah, so, of course, if you're any of these teams right now, if you're, if you're a coach or you're a player on any of these teams right now, um, thinking about something like the bubble is completely irrelevant to you, right? You've got one more game and then you got to get into the mindset of the conference tournament. And that's all you're thinking about. But for, for us fans and for us, you know, you know, writers on, on this website that are talking that, you know, that, you know, talk about everything we possibly can about these teams. Bonnie's against Richmond on Friday, Dayton against Davidson on Saturday Right now, uh, in a lot of bracketologies, especially Joe Lenardi's, uh, Dayton and Bonnie and the Bonnies are like kind of still floating around the back part of the bubble. Is there anything that these two games could have uh, have an effect on, on on their chances of you know pushing them closer to an at large bid, or is that pretty much done? I don't know. I I personally am in the camp that I think VCU has a decent shot still of getting an at large. I don't know why, other than gut feeling and. That's in the age of advanced metrics, gut feeling means jack all, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, I have a feeling that VCU's got probably besides Davidson, the best shot. Um, that said, Dayton has the best um, quad potential. I think this would be a quad, either one or two win um, over Davidson. I'd have to double check that um, in terms of moving you know, the needle on the bubble. Um, really, realistically, what, what the ideal situation is for Dayton VCU and Bonna is all three of them make at least eight, 10 semifinals. Um, and you hope you can get maybe another quad one or two win in there as kind of a last gasp thing. Um, but I think you also hit the nail on the head too, about, you know, the coach perspective on this. I remember, you know, I think it was Michael Lonergan who I interviewed years ago now at GW um, when GW was in the bubble conversation all those years in a row. And his, his, his take on it was basically as a coach, you always, you're always one win away. You always need one more win. You're never, you're never satisfied with where you are in the bubble. You don't think, oh, I think we're safe now. You're always thinking, we got to have one more win. We got to have that next one. Otherwise, we might be out. Um, no matter how safe you think you are, that's the mentality that they, that they always have to play with. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, especially for a team like Davidson, which we all think is pretty safe, you know, how, how they approach this next week and a half of basketball. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Uh, you know, Davidson, you know, we, we've been saying has been has been the auto bid or sorry, has been the at large bid team, you know, all year, all year. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's still it's still anybody's game. Um, so, I mean, with that, I mean, Daniel, is there anything in this tournament right now that you, you know, if, if things stay the way they are, is there any matchup in the men's tournament uh, coming up that you think would be, you know, a highlight of the competition? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I First and foremost, I, I believe the math on this is correct, that there's no scenario which Jebby and Mason get stuck playing each other, which will be the first time in like four years they will not have played in some capacity for men or women in the conference tournament, which for me personally, I'm just happy about. Um, but all seriousness, um, I'm really bizarrely, morbidly curious about Rhode Island being in the pillow fight, possibly. Um, that's probably not a very sexy answer in terms of what matchup are you looking forward to. But I Seeing Rhode Island in the, in the pillow fight and seeing UMass out of the pillow fight would be something to behold. Um, and if UMass gets, frankly, Mason or GW, as we're, I mean, we're going to see how UMass matches up against Mason on Saturday. <laughs> Could you imagine a scenario in which UMass gets the quarterfinals and then still says to Matt McCall, you still got to go? <laughs> I mean, quarterfinals is not enough to save his job. But <laughs> Yeah, but you think about it, though, it's like, you know, the, 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 the odds of this happening are probably are, are, are as long as a long of a shot as you can get. But I mean, like say UMass runs the table, like something, yeah. something clicks. Uh, well, honestly, it's, it'd probably be more than something. It'd be like 20,000 things have to click for, for <laughs> UMass to uh, win the, win the conference championship. Divine but, intervention. <laughs> but, but say, say UMass goes all the way and wins the conference championship and gets that auto bid. Does does the administration go, hey Matt, like (laughs) we were thinking about it, or is it just like, yeah, this isn't working, like let's 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 keep. I mean, how do you repair the severed relationship? I mean, I guess things are not that tumultuous between you know McCall and the AD because otherwise he wouldn't be finishing out the season. You know, he would just said, screw this, I'm out, or they would have told him to get out. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we laugh about this every year because, but one of these days it's going to happen. Maybe not in the Atlantic Ten. But I mean, we're going to have a weird situation like this because this is what's so beautiful about college basketball is even you could go 0-50 in the regular season. You schedule the hardest schedule ever. Go 0-50. You can still win the national championship starting on February, March 1st, whenever conference tournaments start anymore. You have the same ability as Duke, Gonzaga, everyone else. All you have to do now, yeah, it's obviously a lot more difficult of a path for others. But on paper, on paper, on paper, Duquesne, one in fifteen, Duquesne can win five games in DC and then win six in the NCAA tournament and win it all. This is what's so beautiful about college basketball. Screw college football with their crap of four teams and it's Alabama and whoever else cares, you know, Georgia, whoever. No, give me college basketball. Give me, Duquesne. I love it. Yeah, you know, I, I I completely agree with you there. Um, in terms of in terms of who I would like to see in this in this year's conference uh, tournament, I would love for I think there's still a chance, you know, depending on how the seeding works out, that we might see this on like Thursday uh, for the eight nine game. Um, or no, I actually I don't I, I don't think it's possible anymore. But I would love to see any possibility of Fordham meeting George Mason uh, again in the tournament. I think that game that they played this year, you know, I think the circumstances around it, especially with Kim English and Kyle Neptune, you know, being first year head coaches, first year head coaches in the A-10 and, uh, you know, how close that game was. Um, that, that seems like a game that they really want to, you know, continue to play and continue to, you know, beat each other and keep, you know, improving each other. So 
I mean, if we can get it again this year, I mean, I'd be so happy. But if not, I mean, I think there's plenty of time. It is still mathematically possible. If UMass beats Mason and GW beats Fordham, Mason and Fordham would stay in the 8-9 game. So if you really want some sicko basketball picks, that's that's what you're rooting for on Saturday. <laughs> I'll be going. I, I mean, I want Fordham to win, though. I mean, obviously, and I, I mean, want Mason to win. Yeah. So you know, but I, I, I guess if I, if I have to go sicko mode for one day, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll let it slide. But with that, uh, for all you sickos out there, you know, keep checking back to A10 Talk. Keep uh, checking back at a10talk.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow myself, Daniel, and all of our other great writers, giving you the best, uh, you know, coverage of best 14, soon to be 15. We're, we're just a couple months away from that, uh, from the Ramblers coming in. But currently all the best 14 teams in college basketball. And we'll see you guys next time.